Hello, this is Matt Lamar. I am here again with Hallie and Trenton, and this week we are discussing uh, Miriam, and uh, you're a big fan of Miriam, aren't you, Hallie? Big fan. Love Miriam. We first meet Miriam in the book of Exodus, so Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus. We meet Miriam at at the start of Exodus, and I am a big fan of Miriam in part because I just missed Miriam, and... Um, I didn't learn about her when I was little and didn't really encounter her until recent years when I've just done more study. And actually, my experience is not not so different from, I think, maybe all of our experiences and from the whole Christian tradition. We've kind of bypassed uh, Miriam. We've left her in Moses' shadow. And I suspect that when we um, help her out of that shadow and look at Miriam a little bit more, we can encounter all kinds of cool stuff. We meet Miriam first at the beginning of Exodus, and this is the story of um, all of the Israelite people have moved to Egypt, um, and there's a new pharaoh in Egypt, and and the pharaoh is looking out on all of these uh, foreign people and becoming worried because they are uh, growing in number faster than the Egyptians, and the pharaoh feels threatened by that and decides that he hates the foreigner. I mean, this is... So historic, I can't possibly imagine a common, a recent scenario that would give us insight into this at all. Um, so part of what Pharaoh chooses to do, he, he comes up with different ways of trying to persecute these Israelites to, um, to, to not let them be so abundant in Egypt, uh, makes them slaves, uh, asks the midwives to, uh, the midwives to the Hebrews to kill the babies as, as they are born, and finally decides to uh, say that every Hebrew male baby born has to be thrown into the Nile, has to be thrown into the river. Uh, and so we meet a woman who has a child, and she sees the child and sees that he is good, much like God in the beginning of creation is created, it is named good. And so she raises this baby for a few months up until that age when babies start to like really move around and make a lot of noise. And after he's a few months old, she knows that she can't keep him hidden anymore. And so this is the part of the story, if you know the extra story that you probably know. She takes a basket, she puts the baby inside, sends it down the river, a little baby boat. Uh, the, the basket floats down and the daughter of the pharaoh, the princess herself, sees the basket and pulls it out of the water. But the most important part of that story that is not always lifted up is that that doesn't all happen just at random, that Moses's big sister, Miriam, is following that basket along the river. And when the princess finds it, it is Miriam that is standing there watching her pull her baby brother out of the river. And it's Miriam that then goes to the princess and says, oh, look, you found a baby. How lovely. Would you like me to help you find someone to nurse the child? And the princess agrees and Miriam goes and gets her mother, the baby's mother, Moses's mom, uh, to be the nurse for this child. And so um, their mother gets to go and, and live in the palace with the princess and raise her own child. And when he is weaned, uh, the princess adopts baby Moses. And we don't see Miriam again for a moment here. So this is where the story of Moses takes off, and that's what we focus on. But Miriam comes back at the most important part of the story. Actually, the whole text of Exodus, the oldest portion of it that's written, is this piece called the Song of the Sea. 
And so that's in chapter 15, verses 20 and 21. Go ahead and read those verses. And um, this is when the Israelite people are leaving Egypt on the Exodus and the waters part and the people walk through. Uh, it's Moses with a staff that parts the water. And then it is Miriam with a, with a tambourine and with dancing that leads the people through while singing about how God has been victorious and delivered them. It's fascinating that that couple of verses we think is the oldest part of this book and Miriam is singing that that is now preceded in all of our versions of the Bible with a longer song that Moses sings, um, which is kind of ironic because uh, I don't know what you know about Moses. Was he good at talking? No. No, he wasn't. That's why his brother Aaron had to participate uh, in his work with him, right? So the chances of Moses singing, I personally think, are not great. So we have the song of Miriam. Um, What else do we need to know about Miriam? Miriam comes back to us in more Hebrew books than than any other woman. She is the first person in all of the Old Testament and all of the Hebrew Bible to be named as prophet. And when we meet her again in Numbers, this fascinating thing happens. So they're in the wilderness, and I don't know how much of the Israelites in the wilderness story that you know, but the Israelites don't, they don't, our ancestors don't fare well in the wilderness. They're real cranky. They're just kind of a giant pain in the ass, and they complain at Moses, and they complain to God. But in this one particular passage, it is Miriam who's complaining, and she, she mentions first about Moses' wife, but then she, um, she complains at, about Moses' authority. And she says this phrase that, is, is Moses the only one that God is speaking through? Um, and it's this interesting battle of authority that we, we think was probably edited after the fact and, and in the midst of community that was struggling to understand authority. Um, but as she has this conversation with Moses and Aaron and with God, um, God gets mad, Moses gets mad, Moses' authority is uplifted, which leaves Miriam uh, with her skin made as white as snow. She is afflicted with some kind of illness, and she is cast out of the community. It might be that that would be all that we hear of Miriam, but it's not. Because she's cast out of the community for seven days, and these Israelites, who cannot get themselves together around anything as they wander for 40 years, in this moment, they are in unison, planning together, and they stage this sit-in almost. They refuse to move from the spot that they are on until Miriam is restored to the community. Um, These people that have protested everyone, have protested Moses and Aaron's leadership, are now looking at Miriam in her affliction, um, punished by God, and they're saying, nope, we're not moving until she comes with us. This is our leader. This is our prophet. And they're not going to leave her behind. And I think that's pretty fantastic. Trenton, what else do we need to know here? Well, it's an interesting passage. And I think that um, as Hallie's talked about and y'all have heard us talk about before, when we when we read the Bible and we look at the Bible and look at story, um, we need to look at context and place. And the Bible never does anything. The writers of the Bible never do anything accidentally. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a, a very detailed process that you kind of learn how to do when you go to seminary and you go to when you when you study the Bible. Um, and where this takes place is interesting. So it takes place in a place called the Wilderness of Paran. Um, this place is a, incredibly important in Jewish history. The people that are exiled there that spend time there, and this is where 
where things happen, where, where turns take place in Jewish history. Hagar was sent there with Ishmael. Uh, King David spent time there before he rose the man he was to be. The Israelites went back through this place three times before they entered the promised land. Even one of the minor prophets, a guy named Habakkuk, came out and said that this is the place where kings are made. And this is a place where story is defined and, and decisions are made and where people are forced to reckon with who they are. And this is not a wilderness like you think of in Colorado with pine trees and snow and water and beauty and all of that. Uh, this is a wilderness that's a desert. They use wilderness to mean scrubby, gross, think like wily Coyote and Roadrunner kind of desert. It's awful. But it's a place where decisions are made. And it's a place where people come together and advance who they are and put down markers. And I think that that's important here. Yeah. That they're, they are saying Miriam's leadership is more important than Moses. It's more important than Aaron. Mm-hmm. You can argue that they're saying it's more important than God's. It's a place where, it's a place where things happen. And when they come out of this wilderness, after Miriam comes back in, after seven days, they sit on their asses in the <laughs> desert and cook mm-hmm. for seven days. No water know nothing, then they move. Mm. And they leave a different people than they were when they came in. Mm. They still fight, they still quarrel, they still argue, they still do all that nonsense because they're people. But they've made a statement about leadership. They've made a statement about value. So part of um, part of what is so interesting about Miriam as a person and as a character of the story is that we don't know that much about her, despite these like super important moments that she appears. We don't know much else about her. And so our Jewish friends are much more well acquainted with Miriam. Um, and so we've been informed recently by uh, some womanist Midrash scholars about just kind of the tradition of Miriam. And what we think we know is that Miriam was super important then and continued to be in the early Israelite community uh, and had a following and and created some liturgy and movement. Um, and it was part of her tradition that we did not sit, you know, frozen, chosen style in worship, but in movement and song and dance. Um, and we, we've lost a lot of that by all of the interpretation and translation that we've done that has been so male-centric. Part of what has been lost is this incredible, incredible figure, not just for women, um, and not just for her time, but just for all the people and the style of leadership that she must have been practicing and engaging in that would have compelled the people to be as loyal to her as they as they were. So I guess one of the questions is, um, and this may sound trite, but it is true for all of these characters that we're studying, um, is why does she matter to us millennials um, who use Twitter and can't be bothered to spend seven days doing anything. <laughs> Why does this matter to us? Yeah. So it's a good question. I think there's a whole bunch of reasons. The one I'm going to suggest we look at this this summer um, is that what does leadership mean and what does it look like? And who are the people that we are leading, that are we are letting lead us today? <laughs> you know, the guy with the staff that turns into a snake and does all the fun tricks. He's pretty cool. Uh but there's something about Miriam's leadership as she has been with the people, um, leading them in, in liturgy and song and life that compels them to follow her. So I'm interested in this question of who we're letting lead us and what leaders we're choosing for ourselves. Are they the people that we would be willing to sit in the desert for? Um, and would they do the same for us? And Hallie, where can we find the Village uh, Presbyterian Church Young Adult Group online? 
Yes, you're probably sick of hearing me say this. It's villagepresya.org, villagepresya.org, and you'll find the small group um, page right on that website. And you're invited to join us in all that we do, anything that we do, any of you who are in your 20s and 30s.